0: Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning into the Anesthesia and Pain Management Success podcast. With APM Success, we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. We work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. Before diving into this week's regularly scheduled programming, I wanted to briefly let you know I'm going to be at the Aspen Conference, that's the American Society for Pain and Neuroscience, at the end of July, uh, the 23rd and 24th, Friday, Saturday, and would love to meet you there. Going to be getting together with some other clients and friends, and if you're going to be in town, you want to grab a drink, email me, justin at apmsuccess.com. Would love to connect in person and meet you. This week's guest... Dr. Trevor Gibbs, provided some really interesting conversation that I really enjoyed. He created a, a medical product that uh, stemmed from some of the challenges that he was having in the OR as an anesthesiologist with you know just managing tubes and medications and all the different things that anesthesiologists juggle in actually giving uh, patient care and administering anesthesia in the uh, operating theater. So he went on this really interesting journey to create a product that would assist in this and in so doing talk to you know lawyers and accountants and intellectual property experts and medical device people and uh, went down sort of the whole process uh, from taking an idea from the drawing board to having a finished iterated product that is being refined over time and getting it out into the hands of anesthesiologists. So hope you enjoy this episode today as much as I enjoyed having it. Hello and welcome to episode 107 of APM Success. I'm very pleased to be joined today by Dr. Trevor Gibbs. Dr. Gibbs is a physician outside of Chicago. He's an attending anesthesiologist in a private practice out there. He's also an inventor, the founder of AnaStand, which he's gonna share a bit about today. Dr. Gibbs, thank you very much for being here.
1: Justin, thanks for having me. I've been uh, looking forward to talking to you for a while. I'm glad we could finally line it up.
0: Likewise, your journey is a really interesting one and I'm looking forward to hearing the different sort of steps along the way to get us started why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background professionally
1: okay so i uh, grew up an army brat i mean if you go way back i grew up in army brat. we moved around a whole bunch uh and somewhat early on i thought i wanted to be a doctor Uh, it wasn't until medical school that i thought i learned a little bit about anesthesia and obviously eventually that's that's where i settled it took me to northwestern for my residency and then i settled in private practice outside of chicagoland in a town uh, a town called Naperville and I've been here uh, almost 14 years in practice now so it's been a great fit one practice the whole time and I've pretty been pretty fortunate from that standpoint
0: yeah so you're um, one of the few physicians who found a job and kept it for over a decade
1: so far yes and and I mean I really like it you know we're neither my wife or I are from this town but uh, you know um, it just would be really hard to leave this group there's a lot of things that I like about it and I know that uh, a lot of your listeners maybe residents um you know, we have very good transparency from people that are partners and non-partners. When you first start, you attend all the meetings. And and so uh, the where we allocate work and allocate call is the same from day one to the most senior partner. So it's just a very nice environment where we tend to work together. And so um, uh, I think that's something that if, if, you, if you can find that, uh, you want to be very careful if you'd ever leave it.
0: I'm curious, you know, the idea of important career decisions is hugely impactful, not only economically, how much money you're going to make, but also what the substance of your life looks like on a day to day basis. Sure. Yeah. Looking back, would you say that you you were glad that you found it and then you took the job or you sort of took the job not really knowing what you were getting and then later you sort of realized over time what a valuable thing it was?
1: You know i some of the aspects of the job uh i would that are beneficial i guess i didn't know but i pretty did as much research as i could as a resident we had different speakers come through on life after medicine and i would go up and and introduce myself and talk to them and we'd exchange email and things like that and one particular one said hey um you know i deal with a lot of anesthesia practices when it comes time for you to go into practice you reach out to me and uh, we went through things that were important. He mentioned this is one group that he thought was good, uh, but he knew groups all over the country. And uh, so, so I, I appreciated the, the importance of pay or mix, the importance of transparency and access to how people are paid and how work is allocated and, and things of that sort. And so um, when I got the opportunity to have this job, it, it seemed like one that was a good fit for me.
0: And so you've been there for over 10 years now, I think 14 was maybe the number you said. And uh, during this time, you've been doing clinical anesthesia and have presumably, as you said, had a great experience, but there's this other, you know, part of your life with Anastand and being essentially an inventor and a product developer and subsequently an investor. And there's a lot of things that go with that, that sort of happened at some point. So tell me the story of how that evolved.
1: Okay. So... Part of the inspiration, the reason I ended up with this anestand, is, is uh, uh, somewhat the nature of our practice. Our practice was physician-only, meaning I don't supervise residents, I don't supervise anesthesia assistants or nurse anesthetists. You do your own cases, and uh, oftentimes there's not a lot of help if you're putting patients off to sleep. And so I was, uh, on one particular time, going in uh, rapid sequence induction or putting a patient to sleep quickly because they had a bowel obstruction and we wouldn't uh, minimize the chance of aspiration. And the materials I needed, which were on the patient's chest, which we, a lot of us use to hold things, rolled off just as I needed it. The oxygen level were going down. When I finally picked up my supplies, I'm pulling on my IV tubing, which is wrapped around the wheels of the IV pole. And I thought, this is a mess. There has to be a better way. There has to be an anesthesia stand. After this case, I'm going to look to buy one. So I did that. I finished the case. Fortunately, things went okay. I jumped online to find where I could get an anesthesia stand. And I, despite my looking and looking, there wasn't one. And, uh, you know, I thought for a bit about uh, maybe I'd, I maybe I could make one or how would I make one? Uh, I didn't know the first step at all. And it kind of slipped out of my mind. But again, about a year later, I had a similar incident where I was frustrated putting someone to sleep. And I thought, it would be nice if we had a stand. And at that point, I said, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to figure it out. And uh, off I set.
0: I'm getting stressed out just listening to hear you, <laughs> listening to you tell that story and putting myself in your shoes. Um, So how long ago was this, this experience for you?
1: Probably seven years ago or so. And then five years ago, I, just about five years ago, I said, I'm going to figure this out. And so I started looking who might be able to point me in the right direction. And I didn't, I mean now I know that there are things called you know incubators and accelerators and innovation labs and and all these things that are out there that are resources to help people. Uh, and we can talk more about that if you want at some point to, to help people get started. But I didn't even know those terms. I knew nothing. My background, I never took an engineering class or a business class or an accounting class in college. I was going to medical school and I was going to be uh, you know, a medical provider. And that was, that was what I wanted. But I came across, across this organization called SCORES, uh, Service Corps of Res- Retired Executives. And it's kind of a business, helps people, a lot of generally aimed at people with small business looking for uh, mentorship. And so I came across it and they had a chapter here in my area and I thought, well, this is something, maybe I'll find someone. And I looked at the list of mentors. There's someone that had been an engineer that had patented something and and formed a business and sold it. And I thought, well, that's kind of close to what I want. Um, Maybe he'll be able to help me. So I emailed him. He, uh, we exchanged emails. He said, hey, I tell you what, put together a little presentation, uh, you know, and come talk to me and then we'll go from there. So we met and I kind of, ahead of that, I took pictures in the operating room, obviously when there's no one in there and, and, and I cut pictures out of our journals and magazines because I was trying to illustrate the problem to a non, not just a non anesthesia provider, but a non healthcare provider. So setting the context, setting the need uh, took a little bit of time. And, and, and that putting that together for him is something I had to do to a million other people a, a, as the journey went on. But I started with him, I finished my, 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 my pitch, Uh, We had some conversations and he said, you know, I have a lot of people come to me. I think this thing has some legs. Uh, Here's the next steps. So uh, he put me in touch with a a patent attorney. He put me in touch with a prototyping lab and an engineer. And uh, off I went. I started meeting with all those individuals. And at that point, um, I had no idea the rabbit hole was going down. I really thought it would take I honestly thought it'd probably be about $30,000 to get this made and on the market. I mean, that was a number I was thinking of in my head before I met with the first other person. And uh, so uh, there, there, there was a, a million steps from there that, that we'll go into, but I remember meeting with um, So that, actually that week I went and met with a project manager who worked at a prototyping lab that was associated with the local university. So it was you know a little more affordable and, and worked in you know, businesses essentially my size. And he said, "Well, how much money do you have?" I said, "I've oh, probably about thirty thousand dollars." He's like, "That probably should get us through our first prototype." And I, I, I thought he was wrong. I thought he, <laughs> I thought he must have just been over exaggerating. But um, it, yeah,
0: I'm curious it, to zoom in on this time frame because this is an interesting time of sort of the gut check moment. So you have this first, we experience the hardship of for the second time. Like, okay, I've got to do something about this. It keeps on happening. So I want to, have an idea. You meet a, an executive who's an engineer who helps you build a deck. And you have this sort of form, fully formed idea as far as like a pitch deck goes, that's the first, the, the bare minimum to even communicate what you're thinking. At that point, there's probably some like catharsis, like I've, I'm making progress and I, I can tell that there's something here. And I, you know, as a business owner myself, and like a, I love entrepreneurship and I love brainstorming ideas, ways to fix problems. Sometimes that is its own end. Like it's fun to think about ways to fix problems and try to figure out an economic model. And then many ideas die on the side of the road. And for you, you're at this point where there's this moment of okay. I can introduce you. The executive says to you, "I can introduce you to uh, an attorney, and you know, a design person, and these are all people who are going to have a high hourly billable rate and who are going to send you an invoice." And so now you have this increased level of commitment that's going to require tens of thousands. So tell me about how you processed that.
1: Well, first thing I did was uh, I mean. I was excited at this point. Um, I thought, okay, we've got something. It looks like there's no other anesthesia stand on the market. I've got someone that knows something and says, he thinks this is somewhat of a good idea. I hadn't talked to anyone else about this, right? Because, uh, trying to protect your idea, uh, uh you know, I didn't, I didn't know how I could, uh, contaminate the, 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 the possibility of having a patent. And so, uh, I, you know, I was keeping it to myself and, um, so I met with these people, both of them the same week. I, I met with this gentleman, I believe on a Monday, on a week that I was off but not traveling. Uh, so it worked out that I could meet with both of them. So I met with the patent attorney. He kind of went through some important points on um, how we protect this idea. And uh, in short, we talked about doing something called a provisional patent. And provisional patent is very inexpensive. You, you basically submit that to the patent office. They don't look at it. Um, but you have one year to file the real patent. And when you file the real patent, you get the date of the provisional patent. So you get the time protection, but you don't necessarily have to invent the whole, all, invest all the money. And so what we decided was during that time, I could make some prototypes. I could investigate a little further before we actually had to do the real patent. So I met with him, had a plan that I thought, okay, I can, I can kind of deal with this. And then I went and met with the, uh, the project manager. And uh, he showed me around his facility. Um, Honestly, I didn't do a ton of research. It turned out that he was a good fit, but uh, I didn't even know all the other options. I honestly didn't know who else in the area or again, yet how to Google anybody else. So pretty much I was excited to get started. I was going to go with them. He gave me his rate. He gave me, he was the first person that said, not you know not just what a, um, your initial initial prototype would cost, but that you know for most companies you're looking at hundreds of thousands of dollars to get things up and rolling and running, which again I still had, was skeptical about. I thought no, nah, I can be more efficient. I can be you know I can bootstrap and I'll be able to do it a little more cost effective. But he, that's the first time that I, you know my intent was raised that there may be a little bit more to this. But uh, I didn't have to tackle all of that at once. So suffice it to say, I met with this gentleman called Mike, named Mike. And uh, he said, "Okay, I accepted. I had to sign some agreement and and, uh, non-disclosure agreements and things of that sort. And uh, what I had to do further then was further in my mind develop my ideas. And that part was awesome. So I was thinking about what I'd want and making sketches and looking at other things, how they were designed, looking at our workspace, measuring things. And uh, probably about a month later, I sat down with uh, an engineer he had identified that he'd worked with many times in the past. And uh, we had a meeting, we went through all the drawings. I brought in clamps that I got from Home Depot and different parts. I'm like, I think I kind of want something like this and like that. And he took that information. And then probably maybe a month after that, he came back with the first CAD drawings, computer-assisted design or computer-animated design drawings that he emailed me, which was, I was so excited when I opened those, because I could see a more professional version of what I was thinking of. And although it's somewhat primitive to what we have now, a lot of the parts are still the same and still there. So, you know, within two, three months, I went from concept to having something um, much more, I don't want to say tangible because we didn't have it made, but you could look at it and say, yes, that's a professional rendering of what I want.
0: Okay. And then, so a couple of months go by, you've got a design and then um, I know there's a combination right now of like operational, like building the actual hardware, as well as you're probably starting to think about like the legal, intellectual property, entity formation, maybe like that we want to do an LLC or tell me about sort of how you began to address these more complex challenges.
1: I still didn't dive into yet at this point, um, a corporate structure. Uh, I pushed that off a little bit further until we were getting prototypes that uh, I, wanted to, um, I wanted to test. And so when I did that, and at the risk of somebody hurting themselves and they were working on it, or, or that someone was making it and they got hurt, uh, that's when I went, went through that whole process. Uh, at this point, the process was more, uh, okay, now we have these drawings, now we got to make, make the prototype. And it was a combination of using some parts that are commercially available and some 3D printing and big 3D printers to make things that were, were big enough for this. And that took another month or six weeks once I gave them the green light. And that's the first time I really got a bill that I had to swallow. And I'm like, I don't know, it, was, it wasn't was even huge looking back at it now, but it was probably $4,000. And I'm like, I, you know, I had never put money into something that was so uncertain. You know, I mean, you know, you buy something for your house, you get that thing, or I've been putting money into, you know, our typical investments, mutual funds, different things like that. I mean, I just put this into this, and probably most people would think you're just you're out there, you know. I mean, it's it's a huge risk. There, there's no anesthesia to stay in the market. There may never be a market for it. And so I started doing that on a regular basis, you know, continuing to pay for prototypes and then the legal fees started coming on working on the patent and things of that sort. So um, that was the first point where I said, Oh yeah, you're, you're, you're in now, you know? Yeah. Tell me about the
0: first time you carried that prototype in your duffel bag into the OR and you set it up and, you know, maybe the surgeon's looking at you and maybe the AA is like, what is this <laughs> thing? You know, what's going on?
1: Well, it was um, so I, it was kind of secret, right? Because, so what we did was once I had the prototype, the first prototype that I wanted to take out um, and, and I wasn't going to test, obviously on a patient yet. I just wanted to see how it worked in our workspace. So that's when I filed the provision patent, like the day before I took that in. And so I took it in on a night that I was on call because I didn't want anyone to see it, to, you know? And uh, so I took it in and when there weren't any cases going on, uh, I went in the operating room and I clamped it to be out. the the table, because getting that clamp in a way to grab the side rail of the operating room table and to grab the IV pole, when I first got the engineers, they said, that's going to be really hard. And I was actually driving um, one day and I pictured my wife's hair clips, you know, how the teeth kind of intermesh and they pass by each other. And that's how I pictured, I came up with what if the, and I was thinking if this clamp doesn't grab the rail on the operating room table, what if I split the bottom jaw so they pass by each other and then grab any IV pole size either. And once I came up with that, it worked so nice. So, but now is my chance to test that concept. And so, although it was very boxy and primitive, it it, it did what I wanted to do. So it was really awesome. There's a lot of things that needed to be revised, but I could see in my mind, yes, we'll fix this up, we'll fix this up, we'll make this better. But I had something that was I could see, could do what I wanted to do. And that was exciting, but scary. Like I said, I wanted to see it. I, did, I was trying to keep it private. And so I tested it a little bit and then I just kind of put it back in my bag and then I put out some paper and I'm like sketching, No, you know, this, we need to change this and change this and change this and change this. And, um, and, and, and so that was kind of the first experience of, of bringing the operating room and saying, okay, are we, are we close at all? Or are we just way off base?
0: i love the story of the moment of epiphany for people it's it's actually you were driving it reminds me of uh the guy who <laughs> a little bit of a different area but he he developed the science around uh nuclear vision leo Szilard is his name and it was it's known as like the stoplight epiphany or something there's like a famous thing where he's like he's pulling up his car to his traffic light he sees a red uh you know green yellow red and he has this like epiphany about the chain reaction it's a different paradigm and it enables all this discovery so that's that's a fun story um so tell me about uh you know you're you're in you're on call you're sort of setting this thing up and then you're um you're starting to iterate you're you're trying to improve you're trying to make it better presumably at some point you're like, I got to start getting some feedback from people, maybe have a few friends, try it out. Tell me about how that continued to evolve. So
1: I, um, like I said, I, 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 the initial prototype, I could give a lot of feedback on that knowing what, what we need to work. So I, um, I made a ton of notes. I tried it on different things and different places we might work and, and just continue to get as much feedback from this very expensive to me at that point uh, prototype um, which was lousy and and you know the the, um, the, uh, the plastic or whatever you make the 3d printed thing is weak and, and everything has to be you know careful or you'll break it so you can' couldn't really fully test it but it gave me plenty of information so we sat down with that and I typed up, pages of emails, uh, of an email, you know, to the engineer and to the, uh, uh, the project manager and pictures and sketches and scanning things. And I gave them a report. And, uh, so then they put that into a new drawing, a bunch of new drawings back and forth. We get to the next prototype. And that's when I had one of my partners that I had signed a non-disclosure agreement come over and look at it. And, uh, he wasn't too positive. on. He he was kind of like, ah, you know, what are you doing here? You know, he gave me some feedback. Didn't seem like something he said he'd need. So that course wasn't very encouraging. Um,
0: and you probably didn't want to admit, yeah, I'm like 20 grand into this.
1: (laughs) No, No, I was embarrassed. You know, I mean, you know, I, uh, still probably most of my partners don't know the, you know, the investment time that, uh, that I put into this. Um, but, uh, he did give me some thoughts on it. Uh, we came up with a a better iteration. And that process went round and round, um, multiple times, until I got to something that was much better that I I wanted to show to other people. Um, And that got me to a step where this began to be a lot of work, right? So you started thinking about, uh, as you mentioned, okay, I got to form a corporate structure, I knew nothing about that, you know, S Corp, C Corp, LLC, sole proprietorship, benefits of each, you know, I went So this SCORE organization has all kinds of presentations on all kinds of things you might need to go to. And one of them was corporate structure. So I went there and and went to that and they had a a corporate attorney there who I ended up using to help. And we started with an LLC. And then I later, uh, on the advice of my accountant uh, and the tax laws uh, that Trump had put in at that time, um, there were some benefits to being a C-corp because we held it for five years and you could exit the first certain amount um, tax-free. And so we changed it. Um, and uh, that was fine, but a whole another process I had to uh, basically shut down the LLC and then go with the C Corp. So a lot of time just for something like that, a lot of paperwork, a lot of submitting stuff to the state of Illinois on something that I knew nothing about. And of course you're paying your attorney to help with that. Um, and that was, a whole, that was a whole process along with many other things that we're thinking about putting together, right? And so I said, I need, I need some help. And so at that time I had been put in contact with a company a medical device company and uh, that uh, a friend of mine knew the chief medical officer of and they were looking for new ideas. And uh, so I got in contact with them. They were very interested, um, but and so they made me an offer and I didn't, it wasn't a great offer. And I thought, um, you know, I, I've kind of endured this journey, but I but I need some help. So I, at that point, I went with my prototype and I went around to some of my partners and I said, what do you think about this? And several of them liked the idea I said okay what do you think about it but are you willing to invest not just time to help but money this isn't a passive investment you need to be able to help me I need to be able to delegate tasks and you got to put a significant amount of money in and when several of them said yeah yeah we'll do that that kind of validated my idea all right if they're not just willing to pat me on the back but but slide some money across the table in significant amounts then I said all right then I'm, we're going to continue on our own and, uh, so that was kind of another watershed moment when said, okay, we're not going to go to the big company. Uh, we're going to continue to do this alone.
0: Yeah. So tell me about sort of you processing that and maybe like you went home and you're, you're talking to your spouse and it's like, I just had this conversation, like a couple of people want to throw in a meaningful amount of money who are professionals who think that this thing could be useful. How did, how did that feel?
1: It felt, it felt validating, you know, and one of the things throughout the process is you want, or you enjoy when you're validated. Because there's a lot of people, you know, as you, I'm sure you read a lot of entrepreneurs, they get a lot of no's, you get a lot of naysayers, you get a lot of, well, that's a good idea, but it's hard to enter the market, but it's hard with the FDA, but it's, you know, it just, just so many reasons that you can't. And so anytime you get validated, it felt really good. And I felt inspired, like, all right, we can do this. Um, you know, when I take a step back, uh, when I first had this idea, and before I even reached out to that uh, that first mentor, I went. I, I thought, well, maybe I'll go to these big companies, Stryker, Arthrax, just different medical device companies. And you go to their websites, and they have all this verbiage on how you need to be really careful, and the idea has to be protected, and don't come to us with an idea that's not protected, and you you know we can't promise anything. It was all scary to me, and I'm like. Well, how am I going to? Why would I patent something? I don't even know. I wouldn't even know the steps. What it would cost, and so it kind of scared me off. So I had been away from medical device companies. This other company, again, validated me. They wanted it. And they went through all the steps and sequences, and and they said, you know, once we go through this, the chance of being successful uh, or that your product is, is is viable is this high. And we've done that. And here's our numbers. But when they did all of that, I said, oh, if they like it, maybe I should like it. So I had a couple. Um, pieces of of somewhat external validation at that point that inspired me to take these next steps. So with that, I had to form not a not only a corporate structure, but an investment structure, evaluation of the company, uh, roles for people. Uh, what, what would be their compensation for being involved with the company? How would, they, what would the metrics be to say that they earn this amount of equity? What would be the tax consequences of that? So think of all the people that I'm bringing in step-by-step. Step. And as I mentioned, going further down the rabbit hole that I had no idea was going down. Um, uh, and it was an incredibly uh, informative process. It took a lot of time. I mean, I'm reading all kinds of stuff I'd never thought I would read. Uh, and, and where I'm at now, and some of the things we can talk about that I'm working on now, uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was great to learn that. I mean, I just have such an understanding of being an entrepreneur, being an uh, being educated investor, being educated, taking investments. Um, it was, But it was a lot of work, a lot of time, and I definitely needed the help that I got.
0: So at the time when you're soliciting your uh, now partners' sort of feedback and money, and then you get this more formalized structure in place, where are we at in the timeline?
1: I, I'm probably two years into the process at this point, two and a half years in the process. So the point where I was like you know, I need I need the validation, I need a little bit extra funds, and uh, it, it all came together just right. You know, we were getting closer to. Uh, I was going to make these the plastic parts out of an injection mold. Injection molds are very expensive, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and so uh, having those funds were uh, were just the right time, and uh, they're just the right help.
0: Got it. So we've got a team, we've got some more money, and now you want to sort of take things to the next level. At that point, so what was your next step?
1: So I started thinking about the um, the regulatory processes. You know, how are we going to get this? Um, Uh, Approved for sale. You know, was this a medical device? Um, And if it was, how are we going to get it uh, get it approved? And so I, we we were looking for affordable ways to do that. Initially, when you when you Google that, you find, of course, these big companies, and they say for fifty five thousand dollars a year, we can keep you compliant and help you with the process. And I'm thinking this thing is kind of simple. I'm not sure if I need that. And so we were able to find, there's a website called Upwork.com, maybe you've heard of it, but it has, uh, several years ago I hadn't, but I came across it. it, has a lot of freelance people, and has everything on there, but including some, some good regulatory people, people that have worked for Medtronic and all these other bigger medical device companies, that have years of experience, and I came across one as well, um, someone on there who for a pretty reasonable rate, hourly rate, would do what I needed and had a lot of experience. And he still is with us today. When I have um, questions on uh, regulatory issues, domestically and internationally, which he has experience with both, um, he helped me through that. We had to put together a quality um, a quality uh, plan for our company. And we had all, in addition to the regulatory hurdles that the FDA offers. And we put that all in place and we have regularly, uh, he and I have regularly uh, quarterly um, quality meetings where we review any feedback or any problems, or just even we can say there's nothing this quarter, but uh, putting that all together and understanding uh, what, what bigger companies would need to do was again, something I had to learn about, but, but now we kind of have it uh, all in place. So, so I'm kind
0: that. of actually shocked that you found somebody like that on Upwork. I think of Upwork, I think like, Oh, outsourced executive assistant or like a, you know, somebody to like do data entry, but you're talking about like very technical Um, very complex legal regulatory questions and you found somebody to do it for an hourly rate. That's pretty, I wouldn't, I would have never even considered that. You know, if you
1: look, there's even anesthesiologists on there offering their consulting, ability. you know, consulting work, not for anesthesia providing, but, you know, if you need an anesthesiology consultant for your business or for your hospital, I mean, there's, there's everything on there, which I didn't know, but, uh, but uh, we found we needed and a lot of good people. um, Actually, it was challenging to pick one. There was a lot of good options. And again, I had never picked somebody like that. I didn't really have somebody, I couldn't really pay someone to help me hire someone. So I did the best I could. And this was something I delegated to one of my new uh, uh, part of my team. Awesome. So for anybody listening,
0: um, if you wanna understand, uh, w- we'll link to some of the resources that Dr. Gibbs has used throughout the life cycle of his company. I'll get some of these offline after we're done with this conversation. So go to apmsuccess.com 107. We'll have a list of all of that stuff. Upwork.com, obviously, and check out his website, anastand.com, A-N-E-S-T-A-N-D.com. We'll also put that link in the show notes. Um, so you're getting traction. Were you at all intimidated? I'm I'm thinking about, you know, is this like an FDA thing? That just, to me, that feels like years and lots of money <laughs> as soon as you have to reach these certain levels of, uh, you know, regulatory compliance. There's a lot of scrutiny and I, I wouldn't even know what I don't know. And it's just kind of, it sounds scary. So, so how did you handle
1: that? I, well, I spent a lot of time reading what was on the FDA website, and they pretty much have all the rules on there. So as best I could, I did a ton of self-education just so I could really communicate with these regulatory people. And as best I could tell, this was a class one device, non-sterile, uh, not measuring any vital signs or anything like that. So it was the lowest level and and then i found the there was a category for anesthesia trays cabinets and things of that and within that it was 510k exempt uh it was um it was it did not need any um evidence to prove or validating evidence so basically you just needed to register the product you did and you had to have um as as part of being registered you had to have a quality program you had to have and so those things i was able to put together but it looks like that this would not be insurmountable. And so when I found the consultant, I talked with him about that and he, he confirmed my thoughts that, that, uh, yes, there's these things you need. The expense was not as big of a hurdle as I, as I thought it would be once we had these quality plan, um, together. And so, uh, it was not as bad as I thought, but, uh, you know, it's kind of nice, you know, people hear that your medical device and you go through the FDA, they, it seems like a huge barrier and a huge wall. And for most things it is, but for something like this, it's, it's, it's um, not insurmountable. Got it. So for a business
0: trajectory like yours, obviously you start by just swiping your own credit card. Mm-hmm. Eventually you kind of run out of money or you're no longer interested in spending your own money. So you right. solicit partners for their expertise and time as well as their own capital. And now you've got a little bit more money to spend, but at some point um, you've got to start selling your product or solicit even more investment from other outside investors Mm -hmm. to continue the snowball rolling. So tell me about sort of how's your checking account looking at this point in terms of you're, you're doing the FDA stuff. You're, you're asking these questions of what does the future look like operationally? Are we going to need to raise more funds? Do we have what we need? Do we need to start selling? Do we need to hire a sales team? How does, where did you go from there?
1: So we uh, you know, I got that round of investment and uh, we, ordered our injection molds and we started paying, most of the mold we paid off, but about 20% they financed the company and so we were paying that. And we're getting closer to, it took a year from when we ordered those molds until when the, the, the product was ready, it took a year. A year to, you know, you had to make the molds. And then just when they, once they make the mold, then the first parts that come out aren't right. Then they have to alter the mold. And then there's something with this over mold that they made and then they made it wrong. And so then we're negotiating, oh, well, you're gonna have to make a new mold. And is that my fault or their fault? And we had to pay for it. So. You know, one of many hurdles, nothing is as smooth as you just ordered off Amazon, it shows up your door. And then they're sending me all these parts and they're like, what if we make it from this plastic? I'm like, I don't want it from that plastic. Well, it's only working with this. So a lot of back and forth. We finally get, after a year, the parts are ready. I'm getting ready to release this product. Now we're talking late 2019, right? So think about late 2019. What's just around the corner is COVID, right? So, um, you know, so we finally have a product. I'm ready to launch and try. And so I launch and launching means I'm announcing we're here, but I don't have any way to really sell it, right? So I got them. I'm looking for sales partners. And so... Uh, we start to get some um, specialty distributors of anesthesia products. Uh, they are interested, and then we're going back and forth. You have to negotiate. What? What is? How are they going to buy it? Are they? You know? What are they going to pay for it? How many samples are they going to get? What is their territory? Is their territory exclusive? All of these things. Um, you know, some some companies don't have sales rep to go in places, and they just want to do phone sales. How do you keep them yeah. in their territory and out of someone else's territory? So. We're putting that together, right? And this takes us into basically right at the launch of COVID, you know, now I have my sales team and nobody can go in anywhere and no, everyone's on lockdown. And, but, but I still have my monthly expenses, right? So now we get into, okay, am I going to try and raise more capital, which is a whole process, right? And so there is a, there's a, like a time limit, like you, you, there's an offer window. So I would have to go back and make a new, um, uh, like prospectus on the company and where it's at and or looking at our data sheets and our profit loss statements and 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 how does that dilute the initial investors and and I didn't really want to do that. So I now I'm putting more money in it again. Now it just starts me again writing checks, you know, changing my personal investment and saving plan and and I'm not working right because remember the OR shut down, you know, everything shuts down. The, but you know we've all this money's in You know, and the only way to dig out is to put more money in, but you don't want to throw money down, you know, down, uh, you know, throw good money after bad. So at any rate, we are going through COVID and we're getting some sales, you know, some interest. We're doing a little bit of marketing and, uh, and it was great because we got some really good feedback on what was good enough and what wasn't. And so basically like by summer, we said, okay, we need to fix a couple things. And so we shut down, stopped marketing. I mean, it was out there. The sales reps showed a little bit as best they could. We shut down and we came out with second generation and we made a few changes. And mostly it was the support neck. We went to something with a dual ball and socket and uh, that was much, much better. So we put it together. We get a made, we build an inventory, we send it to our sales team and then you know, then COVID is winding down, sales reps are going out and the sales process is long time, right? So from when someone first hears about it, it might be two months before they're even cleared to bring it in for trial. Then the trial gets set up and it might be once they finish the trial, a couple months where they agree to pay for it. So now, finally, now I haven't put money in for a little bit. Our our account is going in the right direction uh, and there's a lot of exciting developments going on.
0: Awesome. So I'm curious in terms of sales strategy, this is one thing that, you know, if you think about business and abstraction, once you get granular, it gets very confusing. Like we have a widget, we need to sell to someone who wants to buy the widget, but are we selling one widget to one person? Are we selling one widget to a group of people? Are we selling a bunch of widgets to a group of people? And if there's a group of people, is there one decision maker who's gonna decide if you're gonna buy Mm -hmm. a bunch of widgets? So tell me about how you decided about your, your sales strategy. Like how do you find the people that can Decide, are you doing like a B to C, which is like selling to an anesthesiologist or doing B to B, like selling to a program or a department?
1: Generally, we're selling kind of business to business. So we're selling our buyers are, although the the person interested in them is the anesthesia provider, usually the facility provides your anesthesia equipment, right? So surgical centers, hospitals, um, dental clinics, um, you know, those are, those are the people that are paying the bill. And so, uh, so that so we we advertise to anesthesia providers, but we're really the payers are the facilities.
0: Right, makes sense.
1: And what so, surprised we- surprised you? What, what is surprised
0: that? To you? What surprised you most about this journey? Uh,
1: how long everything takes. Uh, you know, I learned that as a small business, you are nobody's priority. Nobody. You know, I mean, obviously, honestly, I mean, or not honestly, but I understand, right? So. If you're a company and you have one one person that is providing you lots of business and someone like me that may provide you just a little bit of business, you get pushed to the back, right? So balancing being persistent without being a pain and annoying the people you need to help you was a very big challenge, but you're nobody's priority. Everything takes longer than than I would have thought. And I did my best to never be the delay, right? I would turn things around as fast as I could and then you'd wait, you know? And uh, so the process and this is this is common, right? You hear it all the time, but you think that if you're more efficient, more harder working, you'll be able to, to be different. Um, but, but really, with if, unless you are extremely well-funded, it's just tough to be as fast as you'd wanna be. So things took longer than, than I expected. Uh, you, you know, There's unexpected challenges, right? COVID, and then just the sales cycle, how long it takes, how long it takes from when someone who's interested in it till they actually and then if they agree to buy it, then it's like a long time until they actually pay it. You know, I mean, it's, you know, it goes through, um, you know, the, however the hospital pays things out. So um, how long everything takes, how much everything costs and how hard it is when you're just, you don't really matter.
0: Yeah. There's a long time when it's just like your grit and determination and your belief in the dream. That's probably the only thing that kind of allows you to
1: persevere. I would imagine it's, it's, you know, it really is. I and mean, it's really frustrating when there's the rejection that you hear about when you, when you, when everything is harder and it's just basically you and, and your wife listening to you, uh, you know, uh, you know, some most 99% of the time I was positive, but when I wasn't, she'd say, you know, just, just keep going. It's It's going to be okay. You know? And I thought she didn't know what she was talking about. Um, but but now we're, we're finally somewhere where I, I'm finally starting to, to be confident that we're, we're in the right direction, really myself.
0: What was um, the low point for you on this journey?
1: There's, there was a few. I would say there was a, a time um, when I brought back one of the prototypes further along and it just wasn't where I thought it would be. You know, it wasn't as good as I wanted it to be. And I thought, uh, we're just never going to get this there, you know. And then another thing is actually about a year ago, a little over a year ago, when, when the device that was on the market, we kept having the same problem. And I wasn't sure if or how I would be able to fix it. And I thought, you know, put all this money and time and people believed in me, and I just don't know, if, I don't know, I just don't know if it's going to make it. And when you think... When you feel like that there's that the end is there, those those were low points. So two different times when I didn't think I had the product that was good enough, that was the hardest, hardest steps for me.
0: I know as an entrepreneur that there's so much, I mean, what you're describing is like the polar opposite of the physician career track, which is like, as soon as you're accepted to med school, you're borderline guaranteed to like earn a good income in your life and have some semblance of stability. Um, obviously there's that waxes and wanes depending on, if there's pandemics happening, but um, there's a, a certain baseline level of certainty and you're, you're throwing yourself into this totally different, totally different, uh, unique trajectory that has no safety net and no guarantee of anything. I'm curious if you had to do any sort of like mental rewiring or any work on yourself emotionally to be able to do all the work without any positive feedback and then you you ask your partner and your partner kind of shoots you down and there's i'm sure like some internal wrangling in a way that was perhaps new for you i'm curious how you process that
1: you're right you have to get used to this uncertainty once you're into medical school there's always that certain there's going to be a job there when you do the job you're going to get paid um there's generally plenty of work available Um, jobs everywhere, especially now for anesthesia providers. So then to go in where you're, or even in our typical investments, you put money in a mutual fund. You can see it there every day. It's a little bit up or a little bit down, but yes, to this huge amount of uncertainty without anyone to be able to, there's, you know, I didn't have a perfect mentor. And I think most people don't. There aren't many people that have gone your exact same path that can tell you this is exactly what you need to do. So you're piecing it together. You're trying to get the information you can. But but dealing with that complete uncertainty has, it was challenging, right? You know, and it wasn't until ne- right now that I feel very optimistic on where we're going. And, and, and you know, like I said, that the our, our cash-in is above our cash-out and there's an advertising isn't such a, a hand-wringing exercise like I really want to put money into this or that you know we're going to be at we're going to be at the ASA we're going to be at the anesthesia tech conference and we're putting tables up and and we have a whole new partnership of uh you know that now is making Anastan a lot more Anesthesia is going to have a whole line of anesthesia products and tracheal tubes and anesthesia circuits and all the things that we use in the operating room so um it's it's gone from uncertainty to a lot more excitement.
0: Awesome! If you had to go back and give your younger self, the self that had this idea that perhaps there's a product out there, give that self some advice, some perspective based on what you know now. What would you share? Or for anybody else listening who's like, you know, I'm interested in taking this journey in inventing or product or wading into the FDA regulated side of the world.
1: Well. I would have started when I first had the idea. I would have, you know, rather than let it simmer, I would have said, "Go!" I mean, the first thing I would have told myself is just go look up an innovation lab, an accelerator, an incubator, any of those will get you in touch with someone who'll be able to point you in the right direction. And I could have gotten started several years earlier. So that's that's one thing I would have done. Um, I would have, with my prototypes, gotten a little more widespread feedback. Um, There's a couple, Things that, you know, when you're only getting feedback from your facility, you do things in a certain way that may be different or very different from how they're doing things, their workflow in other environments. So earlier on, I probably would have gotten more outside feedback. So those are those are two things I would have done. Um, I may have also, and this is a risk, I'm not sure, pushed my first patent submission later a little bit, because once you file that patent, right, then you have one year to file the full patent. The other thing though you have is you have a limited amount of time before you can file patents in other countries as well. So I filed something called a PCT form, patent cooperation treaty form. And when you file that, you basically have 30 months from that first date of my provisional patent to file in any other country and get that initial date. And, um, you know, there was a lot of time. Things all took longer. I, and, and and I wanted to see these things selling before we really dove in other countries and started paying for patents there. So if I could have given myself a little bit more time, I may have dead, done that. But someone else files the day before you, then, then you're out of luck. So I don't know if I would change it, but it's it's something that pushed me, put me a little bit more under the gun and making decisions on filing in Europe and different places uh, subsequently.
0: Got it have you had any role models or other professional contacts or maybe like anyone in your life who has been instrumental in helping you get through this? And you would say, if somebody else is interested in trying to walk this path, you need to find someone like this or with these skills or this perspective to allow you to do what you need to do.
1: Um, I would say I, like, I didn't find one particular person. I think you, you need to find lots of people and connect with lots of people. And many different people may be able to offer one, one type of advice, You know, whether it's on finance, whether it's on accounting, whether it's on engineering. And so if you want to take this journey, reach out to a bunch of people. If they're crazy and have bad advice, you can say thank you and ignore it. And if they have good advice, and you may find someone that is, is the perfect mentor. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure that, that, that exists out there. I think there's lots of people and nobody's an expert in everything and nobody walks the exact same journey you do. So, so get online. And, and even in, I had never seen Shark Tank before I started this journey. And I think, I just think the entrepreneurial journey is, is a lot more, there's a lot more spotlight on it and there's a lot of resources out there, but um, I am a resource. So if anybody emails me, I can put you in contact with people, but I'm not a perfect resource either. Just get online, start connecting with people, start reading, get on Facebook groups or, or you know, Clubhouse, you know, app or all these different things. See what's out there, connect with people, and you'll find you'll find the right people that can give you the information you need.
0: Awesome. Well, Dr. Trevor Gibbs, founder of Anastand. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thanks for joining us on APM Success.
1: No problem. I appreciate it. It's, it's always fun to talk through this. It's uh it's you know when you're finally getting success. It's just like, like I said, it's it's a little more than a medicine because it's expected. This is it's truly a surprise or it's uncertain. And when you when you get that validation, it feels great. So I hope uh, I hope other people uh, take the journey. I know anesthesia providers have a lot of uh, sources of inspiration with challenges in our workflow, and they're problem solvers. They solve problems every day, and there's a lot of other problems to be solved. So when you have that inspiration, uh, reach out to people. You know, there's a lot of ways that you can bring it to market, whether it's through a bigger partner and you just license it and get a royalty, whether you do it yourself, whether you partner with other people, uh, there's a way for for you to to act on your inspiration. And I encourage you to do it.
0: If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to APMSuccess.com, where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesia and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I'd also really appreciate it. Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on APM Success.